0: Continuing on in our sermon series in the Gospel of John, you'll remember last week if you were here, we were uh, Jesus had just fed the five thousand. This incredible instance of Him using His power to provide for people um, who were in great need, didn't have food, didn't have a means to get food. And here we see the aftermath of that. We're in John six uh, verses fourteen through twenty-one. It's printed for you in your boards. This is God's word. Good, beautiful true. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew, began to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat, and they set out across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters were rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat walking on the water and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. They were willing to take them into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed as pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it we have a revelation of who you are and what you're doing to you. And thus, You show us who we are in you and what we're here to be about. So I pray in these moments, focus our mind on Jesus. Reveal to our hearts his beauty and majesty that we may love him all the more and change us more and more into people who are like him. I pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So there's always been people who have been incredibly concerned about the media that their kids take in. Now, of course, we, we hear it now. When I was a kid or in high school, I remember lots of concerns about, like, Harry Potter and then video games and all of that. But this has always happened, almost with every generation. And so about 100, 120 years ago, there was an author in England named G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton was an author. And there were a lot of people at the time who said, if we really want to get serious about educating our kids, we've got to get into fairy tales. Because they need to learn arithmetic. They need to learn the ins and outs of all these. They need to learn STEM. They need to learn their science stuff. Which, amen, STEM's great. Um, But we need to get rid of fairy tales. Because it's all about dragons and stuff. And and, and it's going to distract them. And G.K. Chesterton, equipped that with this. He said, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. fairy tales tell children that dragons can exist. And the point he's making there is the stories that we hear and tell ourselves, the stories that uh, are repeated to us, not just as kids, but as, as adults that we focus in on, tell us important things and shape who we are. What Chesterton is saying, fairy tales are valuable because they instill in kids, not uh, 2 plus 2 equals 4 or calculus or anything like that they tell kids the importance of valor, of bravery, of courage, even in the face of scary things. And that good can win out over evil, and there's much evil in this world. Now in our passage today, we don't have a fairy tale. We have something that happened in the life of Jesus and the life of his disciples. And his disciples here, they witnessed Jesus displaying power over maybe the most chaotic And threatening an unharnessable thing in their world as fishermen. A storm at sea in the middle of the night. Imagine. That's your bread and butter. That's where you grew up. Your fisherman lives in a fisherman town. That's what Capernaum means. Fisher town. Um, This is your whole world. The scariest thing you can think of is being in the middle of the open lake or open ocean in the middle of the storm in the dark. And they see Jesus here do something incredible, bring them to safety in the middle of the most chaotic thing that they can imagine. And they learn here that Jesus isn't just doing a magic trick, that this display of power, like all of his miracles, like all of his signs are a pointer to the future. And specifically here, a pointer to what's coming next for Jesus and his followers. And I'll explain that more in a minute. And in doing this great thing, Jesus prepares them, like fairy tales for their children, to know that the storm ahead they're about to face may be huge and overwhelming, but the storm is not ultimate. The storm is survival. And in their experience here, not a fairy tale, something that actually happened to them, they see that Jesus conquers their fears by joining them in their fear and bringing them home. But we'll get to that in a minute. Let's jump into the text specifically. Look at verse fourteen with me. And the crowd has discerned, as I said, Jesus has just fed the five thousand. This incredible display of power and grace, and the crowd there has discerned what the religious leaders who had interrogated Jesus in the last chapter could. They discovered that Jesus is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is uh, Jesus is the new, the true and better Moses. That is a on the scene. That is going to lead God's people out of their uh, exile into sin. And to the freedom of God's salvation. Jesus is the true and better Moses. And what they interpret, I think. Because it says here that they were going to try to make Jesus king by force. They just seen Jesus do what Moses had done, right? Moses had uh, provided manna in the wilderness. Provided food and sustenance in the midst of the wilderness. They see this and maybe they think, huh. Moses also walked right into Egypt and challenged Pharaoh and the plagues. And so what I think is going on here is the crowd's thinking, we can gather as an army around Jesus. He can be our king and we're going to march into Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government. Or we're going to march into Rome itself and walk right up to Caesar. And say, let my people go and rain plagues down. Whatever it is, the crowd here is thinking in the terms of we need to make this guy our king and we can be his army. We're going to take out the enemies that stand in our way. But Jesus has something much bigger in mind. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week um, because ultimately the crowd here gets very disappointed and abandons Jesus altogether. That's our next sermon. Um, But Jesus rejects this attempt to make him king. To make him this military leader. And he flees to solitude. Which is something that Jesus actually did a lot. Read through the Gospels. Jesus would. uh, (laughs) Almost like an enigma. Leave.
1: (laughs) There would be important things going on.
0: And Jesus would flee to solitude. To pray. To focus in on what was. Uh, what the father had for him to do, and the disciples knew this was something that Jesus did often. I think that's why they don't try to look for him. If you notice, the disciples don't look for him. They go and get the boat, and they they hop in the boat to go, and they continue on to the next place, Capernaum, which incidentally is their home base. That's where Peter's from. That's where Andrew's from. That's where they kind of that was their uh, station when they when they would circle back around. After a time of teaching or healing or traveling to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, they'd go back to Capernaum. It was their home base. And so they have just seen, in the, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus at the absolute peak of his popularity. In the Gospel of John, that is as big as Jesus' name ever gets. The biggest crowd he ever gathers around him um, it, that are following after him and not cheering <laughs> at him. They've just seen the movement at this peak, and and they've had this incredible experience, and it looks like they're ready to get home. They're tired. Something good has just happened, they're ready to get home. Uh, You know, Passover's coming up. John mentions that in the very first part of the chapter, so they're thinking, oh, we're going to travel to Passover soon. We need to get home, make our preparations. And they head out at night. That shows you how eager, I think, they were to get home. Um, Because they're seasoned fishermen Verse 16 tells us they set out at evening Which seems fascinating Sailing in the dark is not a safe thing today Much less in the first century Without any kind of electrical lighting Seems like a bad idea But they're ready to get home Verse 17 we get our first hint of trouble Verse 17 is dark The wind begins to blow. The waters grow rough this is the long time to be in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is a massive lake. It's humongous. This is the long time to be in the middle of the water. And they've worn themselves out. Look at verse 19. They've already rowed three to four miles. I don't know if you've ever rowed in a boat. It's a workout. Three to four miles in the middle of the storm is no fun. Oh, I can't imagine. Never actually done that. But they've rode three or four miles and they still remain in the danger of this unexpected storm. They're in the midst of darkness, wind, water, surrounding them. Now this setting, this chaotic scene at the sea. If you flip through the different pages of the Old Testament. It's a pretty common theme actually. This idea of a storm and water and wind. The Old Testament, the sea is used as an image for chaos and danger. And that makes sense, right? The sea is mysterious. The sea is dangerous. Even today, if you've ever been caught in a rip current, it's terrifying. You can't do anything about it. You can't swing your way out. You're caught in the mercy of whatever's going on in the water. And even in 2021, with undersea cameras, we can only see a portion of the incredible mystery under the water. There's so much we don't know. But imagine that times 100. <laughs> in the ancient world, there was no idea of what was going on under the water. The sea was this image of chaos and danger. And the image is more prevalent in the Old Testament than you would think. It starts in Genesis 1, the very first chapter of Scripture. Genesis 1 pictures God as a master architect king who plans everything out, speaks it, and it happens speaks in wisdom and power to bring order and abundance into his new creation. But before he begins his work of creation, this is what he pictures the world as. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of the wind of God was hovering over the waters. Before God had begun his work of bringing order and abundance to the chaos and the lack what existed was the chaos of the storm in Let's see. It sounds a lot like this storm here in John 6. We don't just see this in Genesis 1. Time doesn't permit us to look at it, but consider it brief. When the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and they're crossing the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, depending on how you translate it, in Exodus 14, it describes the Israelites crossing at night. It describes the dark of night, the waters parted, By a mighty powerful end. Steeped in this biblical motif. We arrive at this scene. And we see more than just a scary moment. For the disciples. The evocative imagery says that. Right here in the middle of Jesus' ministry. Right here at the peak of his popularity. Is the threat of chaos. A chaos that threatens to swallow up his disciples. In the midst of following after him. Now, I don't want to make this fully symbolic because it's not. This isn't just symbol. This isn't just the gospel writer. Uh, This isn't just John saying this is a cool poetic image. This is something that really happened. But I think that John included this here in this place in the Gospel of John to prepare us as readers. Because in the Gospel of John, things are about to turn. Things are about to turn. We've just seen Jesus at the peak of his popularity. He's so pleased pleased this crowd of thousands that they want to declare him king and force him into a leadership position. But what comes after this passage, immediately after this passage, is that same crowd turns their back on Jesus. Jesus begins to speak to them about what it means to follow after him in their world. And they turn away. Because it's too big of an ask. His grace becomes too inconvenient. His grace becomes too baffling. And in response to this baffling grace, baffling most of the people who want to make him king right here, the next day, they abandon him altogether. they call him crazy and not worth listening to. In a couple chapters, they accuse him of being demon-possessed. A greater storm is coming. And it turns here, in John 6, Jesus faces outright mockery and opposition after this. So before the disciples are going to go through that storm, before they're going to watch their Messiah go through that storm, Jesus takes them through this. Jesus shows them His power here so they will know it then. And here's the amazing thing. This has always captured my mind about the ways that Jesus demonstrates his power. As we see it through the gospel, Jesus does incredible things, incredible feats of power in these miracles. Which builds up in the gospel of John, eventually leading to him calling Lazarus from the grave. That's like the, the peak of his powerful demonstration in John 11. The amazing thing for me is that when it came to his own mind, Jesus left that power unused. Every time I read a miracle of Jesus, what I think is why didn't he use that power on himself? Why didn't he use that wrong? Well, every demonstration of power by Jesus is a reminder to us when he did use that power. Or should I say, when he did demonstrate that power by restraining it, by revealing the power of God in the weakness of the cross, a power that absorbed to itself our sin to gut in our sin. Now notice in this story We don't have Jesus speaking to the storm to stop it If you flip over to the other Gospels There's another time Jesus did something very similar to this They're in a boat in the middle of the storm And Jesus is asleep And they wake him up and he says peace be still That's the more famous story Uh, But in this story The way John tells it We don't have Jesus speaking to the storm to stop it We have Jesus walking in the middle of the storm, joining his disciples in the boat of their fear, and bringing that boat to shore. Jesus doesn't speak to the storm. He walks in the midst of the danger and the fear to his disciples, terrified. He joins them in the boat and then brings them to shore, brings them home. This is Jesus bringing his friends through their fear By joining them in their fear Traveling with them and bringing them home And the good news of that friends Is that that is what he does for us as well More often than not in our lives We're going through the storms that we will experience Whatever they may be It's going to feel a whole lot less Most of the time when Jesus is with us And says peace be still And everything stops like that It's going to feel a whole lot more like this, a Jesus that joins us in the boat and carries us home, a Jesus that walks in the midst of our fear, walks in the midst of that storm, that we can see him and hear his voice say, it is I, do not be afraid, he joins us in it to bring us home. He joins us in the storm of sin's fury to bring us to the shore of home with Him. Ensuring because He is with us that the storm, no matter how it rages, will not end out. We will not capsize and drown in the midst of pain. We will not be lost to the wind or waves. We will be carried through because Jesus is with us. He is a man with God with us. And just like the disciples here, who had already paddled three or four miles out and they caught a glimpse of Jesus coming to them, and then find themselves at home. Because again, friends, we can stop paddling in the midst of the storm. Our strength's going to run out. And maybe you've already paddled three or four miles. I'm using this as a metaphor now. Maybe you've already paddled three or four miles and you're exhausted. The invitation of Jesus is to invite him in the boat. Stop paddling trying to work in your own strength. Stop trying to wrestle your way out. You're not strong enough. The storm is really big. But He is. He is. He is. He is the power that will carry us through. His arms are strong enough to power us on. And we can rest in Jesus and in His purposes for us. We can rest even in the middle of this storm, even with our fear and doubt. We can rest Because Jesus is with us, and He will carry us home. His resurrection is our hope, because it is our destiny. His resurrection tells us that those who are joined to Jesus, will be vindicated, will not be abandoned to death or to weakness, will not be abandoned to disease. We're not going to give into to the things that tear away from the creation of our God in this world. His resurrection is the dawning of a new creation that bursts forth from that tomb and reverberates out even today into this room. It's an indication of where we're going, what God has for us life. And that culminates in the new heavens and the new earth when we are God's people and He is our God and He is with us. And every tear is wiped away, every disease destroyed, death itself. Overcome. That's where this story is going. That's the home that Jesus is leading us to. Even if we find ourselves in the middle of a storm right now, He's with us. He's with us. Right now, just the folks in this room, we're going through some stuff. And some of the stuff that we're all going through kind of together, we're in the same storm, right? People say we're all in the same boat. And <laughs> you've heard that we're not all in the same, we're all in the same storm. In the church we're in the same boat. But there's some stuff that we're all going through. We're seeing a resurgence of COVID and it's terrifying frankly. To have the number of cases in Harney County for instance uh, like 300% higher than they were even three weeks ago. It's terrifying to think about what that could mean for our community. We all have fears for the future, unknowns. Maybe we're part of an industry that we don't know if it'll survive. Um, maybe our job will be on the line. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we've got a retirement account that's not doing as great as it used to be. <laughs> and we're looking down the road and wondering if we're going to run out of money before we run out of life. And then there's things we're going through individually. Maybe even things we don't know about each other. Some of us going through health things. Some of us going through job searches, like I said, economic worries. There's some of us that are looking at new school years and, and the fear that it could come with that, whatever it may be. The good news is, friends, that we're not alone in the midst of what we're going through. We are not alone. And I can't give you an answer this morning why the storms have come and why they're raging and why God doesn't work to stop it and resolve it right now. I can't. But here this morning, in these words that we have read, in these words that we've heard preached, here in the Lord's suffering that we're about to take in, know this, we are not alone. No matter how bad the boat again may seem, we are not alone. But Jesus is here with us and for us and He is saying It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. He is with us and He will not leave us. And though the storms may rage, they cannot be the final word. They cannot. Because the final word is then and it belongs to Him. He is with us and He will bring us home. Let's pray. Father, we come to You now, uh, frankly, in confusion. Because the storms do rage in our world. Literal storms and figurative storms. and Lord, there's so much to tear at our heart to cause us to worry as we look around us. And so I pray in these moments that you give us your peace. The peace of knowing that we are yours. The, the peace of knowing that you are with us. The peace of knowing that we're is the stronger. And that you will not lose us. And you're with us in your guiding us home into pride and to, to flourishing. Ultimately, Lord, into the new heavens and the earth. Give us the faith to know that and the perseverance as we endure. I pray with in the name of Jesus. Amen.